I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's election day, and on today's episode of Just Healthcare Daily, we have a special election conversation with Just Healthcare co-founders Chaz Rhodes and Lisa Belomovich. It's Tuesday, November 3rd, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where I get the headlines in health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find the show. It's election day, and healthcare is on the ballot, not just because more than 230,000 Americans have died from COVID-19 and more than 9 million have been infected. Beyond the pandemic, both Democrats and Republicans have made healthcare policy a big part of their campaigns. So there's a lot to unpack. So on Monday, I sat down with GIST Healthcare co-founders Chaz Rhodes and Lisa Belomovich to talk about how the 2020 election could impact healthcare policy for the next four years. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chaz. Hi, Alex. Hey, Alex. First, we have to start with COVID as it's on the top of many voters' minds and cases and hospitalizations are surging in many parts of the country. How much of a difference do you think the election could have on the trajectory of the pandemic? Well, I think uh, to a certain extent, the trajectory of the pandemic is going to be determined by, you know, when we get more effective therapeutics and when we get a vaccine that's safe and effective and uh, how quickly that can be rolled out. So at a certain level, the pandemic is going to be what it's going to be. I think the main difference between the two candidates is uh, how much of a role they think the federal government should play uh, versus how much they should let uh, you know states and localities determine things like mask mandates and uh, business closures and restrictions and that sort of thing. I think uh, we know where the Trump administration has been on that. I think they've largely uh, tried to let the states and localities take the lead and have been uh, relatively hands-off, if not uh, dismissive, about uh, you know some of the things like mask mandates. Whereas I think the Biden team is likely to be much more aggressive to the extent they can be legally from a federal perspective on some of that. Yes, I think Chaz is spot on with the timing of where COVID policy differences will matter. It's between now and when we get uh, the rollout of an infective vaccine. One place where I will give props to the Trump administration is they have put a lot of funding and focus on vaccine development, which appears to be paying off. 
Now that said, one element that is a little concerning, particularly as I talk to physician experts across the country, um, is some of the things that feel like there are bits of undercurrents in the Trump administration strategy right now. Some of the experts speaking out positively about masks and, you know, then sort of the off the record discussion of, you know, should we pursue a a herd immunity uh, strategy? Lisa, historically, herd immunity has mostly been talked about in the context of vaccination programs. But as you mentioned, some of the president's advisors have been talking about this as a strategy for coronavirus, although it's not officially the administration's strategy. But what are some of the practical implications if President Trump is reelected and this becomes his team's approach? Yeah, you know, if you think about uh, the concept of herd immunity, you know, it's estimated with COVID that we would need somewhere in the range of 60 to 80 percent of the population being immune to COVID in order to have population level immunity. Um, There's two ways you can get immunity. One is through having an effective vaccine and the other is through catching the disease and developing natural immunity. When you talk to uh, infectious disease and uh, experts and epidemiologists, uh, most, if not almost all of them, are very skeptical as to whether or not a herd immunity strategy prior to having an effective vaccine rolled out uh, would be, you know, probably not even effective uh, for the country and without a doubt would bring hundreds of thousands of more deaths than we would see, uh, you know, if uh, we had a more conservative uh, pre-vaccine strategy that's driven by recommended public health precautions. In the debate that we're having pre-election, herd immunity really has been sort of a code word for a hands-off approach by the federal government. I don't think they actually legitimately believe in herd immunity. I think it's very hard to find uh, any credible scientist who thinks that that's the right way to go. I think it's more just you know, we're not going to impose lockdowns or mask mandates or, you know, any more stringent measures from the federal government or even put pressure on states uh, to do those things. I think you have, it's helpful to separate out what's the election rhetoric versus what, you know, what's going to happen starting next week, um, you know, once we're through the election cycle. Once we get through Election Day, the next healthcare concern on everyone's mind is how the Supreme Court will rule in the case challenging the Affordable Care Act. How much do you think the outcome of that case could impact near-term and possibly large-scale healthcare reform? When you think about the next four years and um, you know true health reform legislation, whether it's under a Biden administration or a Trump administration. Um, the way I've been mapping it out in my mind is like those choose your own adventure books that we all read when we were kids. Well, the first point for either administration might be uh, what happens with the court case. And in that uh, far reaching scenario, yes, we think is unlikely of the entire ACA being thrown out. What we do know is if you flip the books to that page, that could be the factor that would green light either administration to more aggressively pursue health reform legislation because they would need to very quickly put something in place that kept the more popular parts of the ACA and some of the necessary changes that it's made to the healthcare delivery system whole, uh, you know, in the absence of having the Affordable Care Act on the books. Yeah, this is a really important point. So I, I actually think that uh, healthcare uh, reform 
you know, capital H, capital R, uh, things like Medicare at 60, national public option, those sorts of things, while they're in the Biden platform, are probably not uh, high on the priority list of legislation that the Biden team would want to try to get through the first in the first two years of the Congress. Um, you know, I think there are other things that are you know, obviously higher up, like, you know, some sort of a stimulus, the pandemic response, um, and, you know, and then potentially voting reforms and some of the other things that the Democrats have wanted to get through for some time. Um, but Lisa's right. If if the ACA is invalidated entirely, that puts healthcare at the very top of the agenda. And that'll be the first thing the new Congress has to do, because you've got to, you know, figure out a way to protect uh, the medic, the states and the Medicaid program, you've got to figure out a way to protect pre-existing conditions. Um, they'll want to do something with subsidies given what's happening in the economy right now. So that, you know, that would force healthcare reform much higher up on the Biden agenda. I don't know what the Trump team would do in a second term if the ACA was invalidated. It's unclear what the, uh, what the legislative package would be um, in that scenario. And this has always been you know, the big question politically for the Trump administration is, do they r really support this case? And what's the political logic for supporting it, given that there's not an obvious way to replace the ACA? Well, and there's two other, you know, big uh, elements of this that we have to think about as well. You know, we talk about Trump team policy and what a Biden administration would do. Um, it's very, very likely that we could still be uh, dealing with a divided Congress. It looks like the Democrats will hold the House, but the Senate could go either direction, um, which will also have a huge impact on how aggressive either side could be with any sort of replacement legislation. And there's the timing. While we'll all be fixated on the hearing, which will hit November 10th, we won't get a decision uh, until late spring or early summer. What are some of the bipartisan areas of health policy that you think maybe we could expect to see some movement on, regardless of um, who's in power? As much um, heated rhetoric as there is around health care, and obviously, you know, both parties have tried to make a lot of hay out of, uh, out of uh, the ACA for quite some time. I mean, it's been the central health care issue in politics for uh, the last 10 years. If you get down underneath the kind of the headline coverage reform issues, um, there's pretty broad bipartisan agreement on a lot of pieces of healthcare reform. So I think everybody believes in more transparency, everybody believes in value and in, in getting to a place that's higher quality and lower cost. Everyone believes in the power of information uh, to improve healthcare, uh, and you know, and getting to a place where information flows freely across the system, I think there's broad agreement that we need to uh, loosen some of the regulations that keep us from the value-based reforms succeeding. You know, so who gets the scope of practice, um, uh, where care can be delivered, what kinds of things get paid for. Um, you know, I think everybody agrees there's a cost problem in healthcare that needs to be addressed, and there's only so many ways you can address a cost problem. Um, and basically, it boils down to lower price or reduce utilization. Uh, and uh, and I think on both fronts, there's fairly broad agreement on both sides of the aisle about uh, what some of the reforms are that are needed there. Yes, on my list of things that everyone can agree on, no, there's no constituency for supporting surprise billing. 
uh, and legislators got pretty close to solutions there. We could see that cross the line. Um, the Republicans have, uh, have always promoted price transparency. Uh, I think Democrats have joined that cause as well. Um, and Republicans and Democrats may not like each other, but they can all agree to uh, hate the drug companies together. So I think we, there's a good chance that we could see continued uh, momentum on uh, drug pricing legislation. And if Biden is elected or there is a Democratic, enough of a Democratic majority in Congress, one would think that the stimulus package would include a bigger investment in public health. Um, how much how much is that needed and how much of a difference do you think that can make? I, I mean, I think that is a big difference between the party, the parties, at least at how they've talked about it in the course of the election. So, you know, when you talk about uh, the Biden team coming in with maybe a more centralized national strategy around COVID recovery, I think that extends beyond the current pandemic to reinvestment in public health and, uh, a, you know, a reorientation of health policy around um, you know, around the public health infrastructure that um, that we've got. Um, you know, as of yesterday, uh, President Trump was talking about firing Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, if he's elected. And so, you know, I think there's just a different posture relative to the public health infrastructure between the two parties. Um, and I think that's, you know, we sort of have to take politicians at their word. Uh, and, you know, what they're saying they'll do is is what they'll do. I think probably longer term, the changes are not going to be as radical on either side as uh, as they're being portrayed in the election. But public health is definitely an area that I think will be uh, one to watch over the uh, over the next four years. And there are two elements that are really important. You know, one is uh, just the baseline that over the past 20 to 30 years, our public health infrastructure at all levels of government um, has been defunded and there are just less resources to work with. Uh, and the other is just how decentralized it is. And I think COVID laid that bare, even with simple things, you know, all 50 states report uh, data in a different way. So it was very hard to get apples to apples comparisons about how COVID uh, was spiking and comparing communities. You know, so I don't know if there is any politician who's uh, supporting complete nationalization of the public health infrastructure, but just more coordination so that we're all working in lockstep, uh, I think according to most experts would make a big difference if we ever have to face something like this again. Healthcare demand has come back unevenly. More people have returned to outpatient settings, but fewer to inpatient settings. And you have both written about the possibility that demand may not return for a long time, and we could be living in a 90% healthcare economy. If that's the case, how important will future stimulus or federal relief be for providers? The idea that you know we've talked about with the ninety percent economy is um, you know where do things settle out, and so if, you know for hospitals and health systems and physician uh, groups, that's all about you know what's the post-COVID or when COVID finally settles down, what is the level of volume that we can expect, and therefore what does that mean for our revenue model and for our profit model. Um, and the sustainability of, uh, you know, of hospitals. I think that's a problem across the board, and I think it's a problem that every other industry has as well, whether it's airlines or hotels or retailers or whatever it is. Um, and so the political question around the 90% economy and how urgent of a problem that is comes down to stimulus and, uh, and what kind of economic relief does the next Congress, or maybe the lame duck Congress, 
uh, you know, starting uh, on Wednesday, um, what kind of a stimulus do they provide? And I think that's the, you know, the real question that's going to determine how much, you know, demand comes back and what form that demand uh, uh, takes. But then I, then I think it's a question of the virus and has the virus changed consumer behavior in a way that is uh, long lasting or will consumer behavior go back to what it was pre-COVID once we've got a vaccine? I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question, but if I had to bet, I would say that there are probably some secular changes that are gonna stay with us um, regardless of economic recovery. One of the things we're watching really closely as volumes have started to rebound is what's happening in emergency rooms across the country. Um, it's not surprising that patients feel more comfortable going back to their doctor's office. It's a predictable experience. You have a scheduled appointment time, uh, but are worried about unscheduled care. Urgent care uh, clinics and EDs are places where I go. I sit and wait for a long time, usually next to someone who might be coughing. Um, but for hospitals, uh, many of them get half of their admissions or more through the emergency room. Uh, and so it is a real business question for them, uh, you know, how they reach those patients and how they stay solvent. You know, even if we were in, to end up, you know, at 80 to 90% of uh, previous ED volumes, um, it might be the right thing from a public health perspective if that 10 to 20 uh, percent that is lost is low acuity care that would be better off treated in a doctor's office or, or in urgent care. Uh, but it's a very different public health question if the 10 percent is stroke and heart attack patients that aren't making their way to the hospital. Lisa, physician practices, especially independent primary care practices, really relied on paycheck protection program loans to get them through the spring and summer. What are physician practices looking for in any stimulus or larger scale healthcare reform? You know, I think it's pretty similar. And, you know, Alex, you hit the nail on the head uh, in just how important those PPP loans were for independent practices. You know, frankly, as uh, COVID was, you know, beginning to rear its head, we thought that many more independent practices would be in danger and would be knocking on the doors of health systems and insurers, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to seek uh, safety and employment. And we're very positively surprised that the PPP loans seem to do the job to get doctors through the summer and fall. Uh, but I think particularly as we look, you know, at a you know, a continued rise in COVID cases and if consumers get shy again, we'll see doctors have to look for that port in the storm if there isn't another round of support coming from the federal government. You know, and if I'm an independent physician, uh, you know, it would really, it's really telling um, and we'll say a lot about how the federal government views the value of independent practice if there isn't another wave of support uh, that makes its way to doctors if things start to tighten again. Chaz and Lisa, thank you both for your time. Once we know the results of the election, we'll have another conversation about the direction of healthcare policy. In the meantime, if you haven't already cast your ballot, make sure to put your mask on and go vote. One programming note for tomorrow's episode, we'll be publishing a little later than normal at noon Eastern time to make sure we can get you the most up-to-date information Wednesday morning. And we'll return to our normal publishing time on Thursday.
Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on GISTHealthcare.com. GIST Healthcare Daily is an independent production of GIST Healthcare. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.